Folks, a very good morning to you. Um, let me start off by saying thank you to many who have uh, been inquiring about me over the past two weeks and uh, the state of my health. Uh, I'm standing up, so that's always a good thing and uh, improving slowly but surely. Uh, so thank you for uh, your best wishes that have been sent. Uh, there's been offers of chicken soup and there's been offers of DVD box sets. So um, thank you for your care and love in, in many different ways. If you've ever been to a wedding, it's most likely that 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the passages that has either been read as the main Bible reading or it's referred to as part of what happens in that wedding service. And I suppose why not? Whenever you read verses 48, it says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Why wouldn't we want something like that read at a wedding service? as two become one and start out on this new journey in life together. But not wanting to dash any great ideas of this passage, Paul didn't put it in here as the great wedding passage. If you've been following anything that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians, you will recognize that Paul is always referring to what has gone before and always leading us a little bit into what is to come. And he once again comes to something that we've witnessed in 1 Corinthians and in Romans as we looked at that last year. He takes one of those moments where it says just he wants to kick his feet back and just pour out his heart. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. Paul is saying, hold on, stop, let's catch our breath and let's look at the essence of what I've been talking about. In chapter 12, Paul has been addressing another area of unease in the church. He's been talking to them about spiritual gifts. This is what they were arguing over. Who was more holy than who? Who was in the little club and who wasn't? Who was being included? Who was being excluded? It was their mark of, of holiness as to which gift you had and which gift you didn't have. And then they ranked the gifts as to which was more important than the others. Paul was very quick and eager to tell them that gifts cannot be earned. They cannot be chosen. We cannot decide what gifts we want. Rather, they are exactly what they say they are. Spiritual gifts. Gifts given by God for the good of his people, the good of his church. In the second half of chapter 12, Paul reinforces to the church that they are to be a strong unit. There is to be this great unity within them. And he paints that picture like a body. They are to be one unit. But also that they are to recognize that just like a body, having many parts, so the church has many parts. But they all work together for one function. That is to ensure that the body functions. So they were to recognize that each have gifts, each have abilities, each have different skills. Not one more important than the other, but rather each working together to ensure that the body of Christ flourishes, grows, and proclaims Christ in the world. 
Let's jump over chapter 13 to see where Paul is going. Because in chapter 14, he will come back to spiritual gifts again. And this time he will focus on what must have been the most controversial. That is that of prophecy and of speaking in tongues. But before he gets there, Paul takes this breathing space. He takes this gap to say, this is what it's all about. He takes a moment to get above the physical arguments that they were having. What the church was facing. And he wants to lift them to a higher view. A view that is God's view of what his church, his people are to be. And so we have chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And right at the end of chapter 12, Paul describes it as the most excellent way. So what's about to come is going to be something great that Paul believes is the most excellent way for God's people to live. So this is the standard. 1 Corinthians 13 is the standard that Paul sets for us by which we are to live. And he gets straight to it in verses 1 through to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. As a child, I joined our local silver band. And I was given the wonderful job of banging the cymbals. Now at aged eight years, I thought this was a great job. Because all you do are get the cymbals and just bang. That's all you do, or so I thought. I was then relegated. I didn't think you could be relegated from the cymbals, but you could. I was relegated then to the triangle and spent my next three years on the triangle. It appeared that the triangle wasn't as intrusive as uh, an instrument. It didn't make such a noise. It didn't matter if you weren't on the beat or not. Uh, and that's where I was for the next couple of years before I eventually progressed onto uh, another instrument. I thought I was doing a great job, but it turned out I wasn't. I was just making a noise. I was clashing cymbals. It was empty because it was not in the rhythm or in the beat that the rest of the musicians were. In the pagan churches, temples, the gong or the clashing of the cymbals were to scare away evil spirits and to get the attention of the gods. That's how they thought you got God's attention. You made noise and so whichever god you worshipped would then focus on whoever was making the loudest noise. Paul is saying, you know, we've covered it all. We've covered all the gifts that you're arguing about. And here's the most secret of all information. Because you can think you can do it without any problem. But if you don't have love, if love isn't your motive, if it isn't the thing that's driving you, well then you are a clashing cymbal and a resounding gong that is empty and hollow and not worth anything. So that's what he says about tongues of men and angels. He then moves on to prophecy, knowledge and faith. If there is not love in the desire of understanding and the delivery of a message, well then it's worthless. There's no heart in it because there's no love in it. It just becomes something about us and our own thinking rather than relying on the one who gives us the love that is in our lives. He then moves on in verse 3 to talk about the ability to help the poor. 
if we have every resource to help the poor and would do anything for the sake of our calling in Christ but do not have reason for love, then our efforts may be good, but we gain nothing because it becomes about what we do and self-satisfaction. In just three verses, Paul has recapped his message of chapter 12, but he goes deeper. And this deeper level is to go to their faith. He says, everything you do, forget about the arguments about who has what gift. We've, we've capped that. We've said that everyone has a gift. But the real test is, is there love in it? Is there love so that the unity of the body can be maintained so that it is for the good of others rather than for the good of self? This is the deeper level that Paul wants the Corinthians and indeed us to go to. He goes beyond their understanding of spiritual gifts and brings it right back to God's purpose in the gifts. That is that these gifts will be done in love. Everything is worthless or pointless unless it is done in love. From verse 4 onwards where it starts off, love is patient, love is kind. Paul uh, wants to talk about the character of love. But before we get into that, let's think about this word love. There are three words that are used in the Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in. Three words for love. The first is filial love. That is the friendship or the affection, uh, love, or affectionate love or loyalty. There's eros love, which is a passionate love, a romantic love. And then there is agape love, the unconditional, sacrificial love. It's important that whenever we read this and hear the word love mentioned, we understand it as this sacrificial, unconditional love. In other words, I will think of others before I think of myself. Whenever we think of it like this, it changes everything. It means that it's not just about doing nice and good things. But it actually means that we are putting other people before ourselves. As we desire to show and tell the love of Christ. And Paul says that when we do this, it is in the most excellent way. So Paul is not only giving us a lesson on the character of love, but he's going deeper by saying, this is what your character is to be also. It is to be the most excellent way in each of our lives. And if you have been with us, can you imagine now the squirming of the Corinthian believers as they hear this? Because here are the characteristics of love. Paul says love is patient. 1 Corinthians 11.21 tells us that the Corinthians were so impatient that they were not even prepared to wait for the poor members to arrive before gorging themselves at their church meals. That includes kindness. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6 and chapter 8 verse 1 the Corinthians boasted about their favourite leaders and their knowledge and their pursuit of knowledge. Love is not rude. In 1 Corinthians 8 verses 10 to 12, they insisted on their rights without regard to the feelings of others, eating in idle temples despite the fact that others in the church were scandalised by their behaviour. And far from bearing the hatchet and making light of wrongs, they even took one another to court in chapter 6 and verse 1. 
Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 15 to 16. The Corinthians even slept with prostitutes. What a list. What a, what a noise in their ears. As Paul gives out this list of what love is to be and what the character of the church is to be. And yet they, at every turn, have completely rejected what the truth of love is. But Paul continues that love is greater. Unlike the Corinthians, love rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Rather than being something that, should, that we think would hinder us or take us away from the enjoyment of life, love becomes the thing that gives us our purpose. It is the positive thing in our lives. Agape love is to be our character as we interact with each other and with the world. And as Paul moves on from verse 8, where he says, Love never fails. He says that everything else will pass away. Everything else that we've talked about, that you have argued about, it will pass away. Their test of holiness will be no more because there will be one test of holiness and that is having the love of Christ within us. Everything else will, it will fade, it will perish, it will spoil, but not love. In these last few verses, Paul says that the Christian life is a path to maturity. There is greater to come. This is the hope that he gives them. What we see now in the spiritual gifts is only a shadow of what is to come. This is the hope that is going to continue to get them on the road for this most excellent way. One of the hymn writers of church history, Charles Wesley, in his hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, says this. That we are changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we lay our crowns before you, lost in wonder, love and praise. What an image. Changed from one thing into another. God's people are changed from glory into greater glory as they are lost in wonder, love and praise. Paul concludes this passage by saying that when all is said and done, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Vaughan Roberts, an English vicar, helpfully teases out the meaning of this and he says that there will be no need for spiritual gifts on that day, the day of Christ's return. Faith will in time be absorbed into sight and hope will be filled finally and completely. But love will go on and on into eternity because God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a magnificent chapter of what God has for his people in the most excellent way, the character that we are to be marked with as his people 
and as his church. But it is also a stinging rebuke to the Corinthians for their lack of love and an appeal to them to ensure that their approach to the understanding and use of spiritual gifts is driven by the priority of love and nothing else. And you know, so it is for us. Agape love, sacrificial love that gives unconditionally, must be the character of our lives, as individuals and as a church. When we think of our outreach programs, our community programs, and our church community activities, we must show and tell agape love to each other and to those we come into contact with. In our homes and in our families, we must show and tell agape love to our parents, spouses, children, siblings, and others who are connected to us in that family way. And in our places of work, we must show and tell agape love as we react and respond to the pressures of work and the driven agendas of others. You could very well ask, because the world would want you to ask this question, why this type of love? Why agape, unconditional, sacrificial love? Why not one of the other two types mentioned earlier, that of romantic love or that of pure loyalty love? Well, for one reason, Paul is telling us that whatever we do, whenever we love, it must be sacrificially unconditional love. And secondly, it is the love of the Father. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12 tells us, and every time you hear the word love, again, it is that word agape, sacrificial, unconditional love. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. To be able to do Everything in love means that we must know the one who is love. It's how we love another, one another. It's how we show agape love to our community, within our congregation, in our homes, and within our places of work. We love because it has been demonstrated to us in God sending his son. And that's what started the most excellent way for everyone on this world. The most excellent way. We bear with each other in love, not expecting anything in return, completely unconditional, sacrificial on our part, because that is what has been displayed to us. And when we do, we will not be hypocritical in our lifestyles, nor will we become a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, but rather we will be 
the church and the community that God has always intended us to be. Let's pray. Father, time and again as we come to see what Paul has to teach us and what you have inspired him to write, we are faced with how we are to live as your people in this age. And Father, we thank you that what we learn in Scripture is timeless. It may have been a message one time to a church long ago, but it is still a message for us today. So help us as we discover what it means to have agape love in everything that we do so that we can become patient and kind, that we will not envy, that we will not boast and where we will not be proud. The love that says we will not be rude and that we will not be self-seeking, that we will not be easily angered and that we will keep no records of wrong. Thank you that this love never fails. Father, keep us in that love so that as we know it, we will live it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name.